Okay, for our message today, it'll be brought to us by Mr. Matthew Steele. Is it entitled, He Holds All Things Together? Well, good afternoon. How's everybody doing today? A little kind of slow, kind of a little down. Seems like the weather crowding in. We don't like this uh, cloudy business. Give us sunshine, even if it's cold, right? So I had uh, I had actually planned to do a different message today. I've been doing some study and, and reading lots of books on um, on the oddly enough the history of the West and our culture and the role of Christianity in it and really digging deep into a lot of material in that regard, and um, it's kind of depressing. And so um, I think that was maybe why I wasn't bringing that today, because we're already under the weather a little bit, right? Um, but I, I still woke up this morning in a spiritual, can you have a spiritual funk? Kind of a just in a malaise, just a lower kind of energy and unsettled, uncertain, troubled. Um, and there wasn't anything specific. It wasn't like, oh, this thing that I've got to fix or do or, or take care of or, or I can't fix or do or take care of. It wasn't like that. It was just kind of a generalized, I'm unhappy. And I've just woken up. Has anybody ever done that? You've woken up from a relatively good night's sleep, and uh, can I just go back to bed? And if I could go back to sleep, I may may have done that, but then you wouldn't have this message today. So there's a good and a bad part of that, right? And so, like I said, it wasn't anything specific, but you know, I didn't awake for maybe five minutes. And already this, this malaise, this spiritual weight is, is kind of coming down on me. And I, I started looking for distraction and looking for comfort, some joy, something to replace whatever this is that's going on in my mind, looking for some hope, something to look forward to. Apparently coming and seeing all of you wasn't enough. I'm, I'm sorry. But, you know, just... Something, right? You, you, I think you're getting what I'm saying is that we, we all experience this from, from time to time. And so in great wisdom and depth that clearly I have, I reached for the, the tool that we all reach in our modern technological age, my phone, which is the answer to nothing ever, right? But I thought, well, why not just get my phone? Maybe I'll, I'll read what's going on in the world, because that's going to cheer me up. <laughs> and, you know, I have a strange view of things sometimes. I like to watch disaster movies. Anybody like to watch disaster movies? I like to watch them when I'm feeling a little down, because, hey, it could be worse, <laughs> right? There's a logic to this. At least I'm not, you know, escaping the end of the world today, as far as I know. 
So I picked up my phone and uh, started to browse on the news. Well, that wasn't doing it. So then I went over to YouTube and started watching random videos of people saving deer that had gotten stuck out on the ice in the middle of a lake. It was kind of fascinating how they did it and how they got the rope around it and how they kept falling themselves. And it was distracting for a few minutes, but that wasn't working either. And so then I uh, found a video of a guy building a cabin out in the wilderness with nothing but a chainsaw. Something that I think we all should try and do at least once. Where he got the gasoline from the chainsaw, I don't, I don't know. But anyway. And then, you know, you keep scrolling and there's countless mind-numbing videos and all of this was not working. And so, as I mentioned, and as I saw before, I'm not alone in having moments like this. And, and maybe my um, particular approach to trying to solve it might be unique to, to me. But we all look for something that can replace that malaise or that funk or whatever we want to call it that we can find ourselves in. Sometimes it comes on us at night, doesn't it? right before we're about to try and go to sleep. And that's so good as we struggle there looking at the ceiling and counting sheep and reading scriptures and trying all the things to go to sleep. Sometimes out of the blue, just in the middle of the day. It just, it just comes on us for no obvious reason at all. It does not seem to make sense at times. Why is this coming on me? Everything's fine. There's nothing specific. So after finding that the news and the random video clips did not help, I got up and I made some coffee with all of these things swirling around in my mind. And as I was staring at the coffee machine, waiting for some coffee joy to come out of the machine and some tasty drink that I can enjoy just just for a second then a scripture came to my mind which is you know we're all thinking well why didn't you start there buddy <laughs> I mean you're up here like preaching about it why didn't you do that but we often do get scriptures don't we they come to mind and then we ignore it we, it just moves on we carry on thinking about the things or the, the weights of the things that are in our mind. But it was this scripture, and it, the title is, is drawn from it. Um, it is in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. And it says, And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And that just, boom, came into my mind. And then there's a song, which I'll play for you, or Brian will play for us, at the end of my message that, that the songwriter has changed slightly the language, but the meaning is the same. He holds all things together. And everything consists in him. He holds it all together. And I'm grateful that I noticed this scripture. It didn't just go you know, from one side to the head and out the other. I didn't dismiss it. I thought about it. Why was I getting that scripture at that moment in this kind of malaise, this 
spiritual down situation. Why that scripture? He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. I think it was God's mercy. I think it was the Holy Spirit giving me some encouragement, helping me to get off that merry-go-round of where my mind was going. So instead of ignoring it, which I have done often, I took my coffee with me into my office, pulled up my trusty Bible software, found the scripture, because I am terrible with remembering references. I remember the verses, but remembering the references is harder for me. Found it. I started to meditate on it. Started to read the rest of the passage. And started to think about what that means. What it means to me. What it means to all of us. Just the simple passage. And then the larger chapter itself. What lessons can we take away from it? Not just from this one verse, but the whole passage. What is in there for us to learn from? So starting, I'm going to skip the introduction. It's the first, obviously it's the first part of the, the epistle. And so Paul is making his introductions. But then in verse 9 in chapter 1 of Colossians, he says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. What does that mean? We've probably read this passage many times. It's easy to, well, he's just coming into his, his, his introduction and then he's starting to get into the, the meat of his, his letter here. What does this mean? Well, if we break it down for what Paul is trying to communicate to the church at Colossae and, and also to us, I think we can find some really encouraging words, some strengthening words, and some depth here that we haven't noticed. And we can also see some things that is not said, that is not discussed in the light and the context of how we would normally think about it. So digging a little deeper and using some of the, the, uh, the concordance to dig into the Greek meanings of these words, Paul says in these two verses that he prays, obviously, for the church. I like to think that he prayed for us also, for those of us that would read his letter, read his communication to the churches. He says that he's praying that we are filled or made complete with the knowing or the recognition of God's will, his will, in wisdom, which is cleverness, and in spiritual insight and understanding. And all of this is for the purpose of walking worthily or appropriately of the Lord. Fully or in all things, 
all times, all places, all things is everything, at all times, at all places, with all people, being pleasing to him and bearing fruit in every good work, in every good thing, and increasing or causing to make grow in us the knowing or the recognition of the theos, God himself. And you know, it's interesting, we're reading here in the Greek, we're reading the words inspired by Jesus through the life of Paul and through his pen, who is the Logos, pointing us to deepening our understanding and our knowledge of the Theos. And there's a lot here. And it would be easy for us to just kind of not dig into some of these things because maybe we won't measure up. There's a lot in this that might condemn us, that might lead us to think that we're insufficient in these areas. And yet in the entire passage that Paul has here in this first chapter, he does not in any way tell us that we have to be perfect. This chapter is actually about progression and improving, and getting better, and learning, and deepening, and growing, and bearing fruit a little bit more each time. Isn't that a relief? Isn't that just a deep place that we can just rest in and say, okay, I can look at this scripture then, and I can see where God needs to work in me, and it's okay. There's no condemnation here. There's no devaluation by ourselves, of ourselves. Instead, he says, we are to be filled. Filled by whom? Who does the filling? You know, for those of us that are um, action-minded, task-driven, get things done, my wife is smiling at me. If we're that, that way, we think, well, I've got to take care of business. I've got to do these things. I've got to incorporate into me. I've got to be better. But it is interesting, isn't it? That if we need to be filled, what does that imply? We don't have it in the first place. And if we had whatever we need to be filled with already, then we wouldn't need to be filled, would we? So God is coming to us And he knows that we're empty. He knows that we're devoid of the things that he needs to fill up in us. And so he does the filling. Proverbs 3, verse 5, it says, Lean not unto your own understanding. Right? Let God bring his understanding, his knowledge, as we read in this passage, and his truth. It is God that fills us with his knowledge. With the recognition of what? Of his will. Who amongst us knows God's will? I'm the only one raising my hand. There's Ken back there. We do have a general understanding, right, of God's will. What can we point to? Well, he doesn't will that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge. And all should be saved, right? But 
There is a specific will that we start to wonder in our daily lives. What are you doing, God? What is your will for me? What is your will in this situation, in this struggle that I'm having? Or a loved one that is experiencing struggle or pain or difficulty. What is the will there? So there is a level of the will of God that is a bit elusive at times. At least it is to me. So what is his will? Well, here's the cool thing. He fills us with that recognition. He fills us with the understanding of what his will is. And I think that's what part of what was in my mind this morning. Trying to understand what is God doing with all these facets of my life? What is he working towards? What's his will? I just really would like him to make it very clear. Write it out on the list. You're going through this because of that. You're doing this thing because of this other thing. And here's, here's my detailed plan. And maybe he does want to tell us that. Maybe what we're learning here is that if we listen and if we allow ourselves to be filled with the knowledge and the understanding of his will for us, maybe he will reveal his will to us. And we move on to this this connected part here about Spiritual understanding. It's a really interesting phrase. What is spiritual understanding? Is that understanding the spiritual? Or is that understanding how to use the spiritual? Maybe it's both. Maybe it's more than just a knowledge or an intellectual understanding. Oh yeah, that God is spirit and we must worship him in spirit and truth. I think what he's actually saying is that we, that we have a, an understanding of how to function in the Holy Spirit, in the Spirit of God, and how it works within us. That was my observation this morning, waiting for my coffee to brew. Who gave me the scripture? How was that delivered to my mind to get my attention and to, to try and work with me in where my reasoning was going. I think it was God through the Holy Spirit being aware that it's so easy to just disregard that. Oh, that's coincidental. Oh, that's nice. Maybe it is understanding how the Holy Spirit moves and guides us, how it informs us, how it shapes us, how we can use it, how we can set it to work. Set it within the will of God, of course, but learning how to engage with the Holy Spirit, just as that woman did when she touched the garment. Hey, who pulled that spiritual power out of me? Someone that somehow knew how to put that into effect, to understand the Spirit. And so then we have these things filling us, growing in us and maturing in us. And Paul says to walk perfectly, right? No, he doesn't. He says walking worthily of the Lord. 
walking worthy of him. So as we walk, we're getting a little stronger, a little better, more full, increasing in the knowledge and the recognition of God working in our lives. Not just of his truth, not just of doctrine and theology. Those things are good, but those things are of the schoolmasters that Paul is referring to. We need to move on into the deeper things, that relationship, his working within us, in our personal lives, the working of his spirit. So we can understand what he's doing, how he is working in us, and in the world. This is how we understand those things. And having these things, we are, as Paul continues in verse 11, said, strengthened. So when we allow God to fill us with these things, a knowledge and an understanding of his spirit, a knowledge and understanding of his will and how he is directing us in, his, in our life, we are strengthened, which just means made strong. With all might. And that word might, it's a supernatural strength. It's a strength that we have no business having as mere mortals. It's God's supernatural divine strength. According to his glorious power. We are to be strengthened. Any of us don't need strengthening? We can all take strengthening, right? There's many facets in our life, physical, spiritual, every area we could do with strengthening. But for a reason, and that, that reading is for uh, patience and long-suffering, this is the reason that we are to be strengthened. There is uh, this joy word here that I, I read earlier. And that was on my mind this morning. That's what I was searching for in the midst of the malaise, looking for joy coming out of the coffee pot. Just something to ease, something to cover and encourage joy for the lifting of all these burdens so that we could have joy. Well, let me ask you a question. If God were to come along and just lift your burdens, remove and give you deliverance from the things that you're struggling with and the, and the difficulties in life, would that really be joy? I don't think it would. It might be happiness, <laughs> right? We might feel in that moment, very happy that that problem has gone away. But joy, in this sense, is the recognition of the deep delight that comes only from overcoming and persevering in the problems we have in life because we see how they're being used by God for our growth, for our improvement, for our development, for de deepening our relationship with him. And we realize that we are doing all these things together. 
And I often find myself thinking about the kingdom of God. I'm sure you think about it too. And I, I tend to find myself falling into this idea that when the kingdom of God is revealed, when, when it is here, what happens? All my problems are gone, right? All my difficulties, all my challenges, they're done away. They're gone. Ah, made it. Don't have to deal with those things anymore. But is that really what is going to happen? Is that really what is going to happen as we enter into the kingdom of God? Because there's a lot of trouble and turmoil and pain and suffering as we enter in, isn't it? Just to even get there. Jesus has returned. He's returned to Jerusalem. He's setting up his kingdom. And what is the world like? Well, if we look at all the prophecies regarding what comes up, we read Revelation about what comes before that. There's terrible problems on the earth. There's a lot of destruction in the lives, in the world, in everybody's life. A world that is devastated, that will need to be rebuilt, that will need to be cleaned up. And the people of the world, well, they'll come through completely unscathed, right? Not at all. And, you know, we just think about some of the terrible things that we have seen happen in the world in the last couple of months, and multiply that by how many as we enter into the end of the age and then into the return of Jesus Christ. We are going to have disasters on our hands that will make all the things that I was worrying about waiting for my coffee pot seem ridiculous and child's play. So not all the problems are immediately solved as soon as Jesus returns. We will be there sharing in their struggles, losses, pain, suffering, helping bring relief perhaps where we can, and guiding them through the challenges of life that we've had to go through and that they've had to go through even more. Just thinking about the kingdom of God that way doesn't sound great, does it? And yet it is. Because God is going to be building into them as he's building into us all of the characteristics that he wants them to have. But there is coming a point at the end of all that, as we know. But it's not until the end. It's not until like the obscure end, after the millennium, after the great white throne judgment, after everything that comes along, then we arrive at a place where it says God wipes away all the tears. And there'll be no more sadness or sorrow or mourning. That's quite a ways into the future. And so it's important, I think, for us to recognize that we don't just have to batten down the hatches, secure ourselves in our own little lives, and then as soon as we get into the kingdom of God, all of our troubles, all of our problems, which are mostly, if we're honest, produced by ourselves, 
then all of those will go away. I don't think that is true. What we have before us, what Paul is trying to communicate to us in this short little passage, he's trying to get us to understand that is now. Now is the time that we need to change, that we need to become more, that we need to be more filled with everything that God is trying to fill us with. It's now. It's not wait until the kingdom. It's not wait until some other future date. We need to address the things that hurt us, damage us, and those that we love now in this life that we have. That is not fun. It's not. It's difficult, and it's hard, and it will hurt us as we face those things. But it will improve us. We will grow. We will mature. And we'll do so because we have allowed God to fill us. We've allowed God to work within us and produce the character that he wants us to have. What did Paul say in Philippians? In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I would really like to be at a place where I can say those things with Paul. That I know how to handle any situation. I know how to handle some situations. And I've learned how to handle some situations better. But he seems to have really got it down, doesn't he? And maybe he would argue with it. But he was, he's pretty strong there. He knows how to be abased. He knows how to have nothing. To be laying on the floor of a prison cell, whipped and bleeding, he knows how to deal with that. Depth of character and strength that is operating in him, being filled with, with the power of Jesus Christ in him. Wow being un- allowed and able to do that, and then, and then a- able to abound. When everything is good, when everything is great, not to fall into distraction, not to fall into sin, not to be basing your life on those good things. Because boy, if we do, when the good things dry up, then our faith can dry up as we know. Our spiritual, intellectual, and emotional development by God working in us is what is going to bring joy and peace and contentment. Not for God just to remove every difficulty or every challenge. We need him who holds all things together. We need him to be growing and maturing us into his own nature and character. It's a hard thing to understand. It's almost like it's a mystery. The struggle that we have between sacrifice and and pain, suffering, 
and joy. The part of the mystery of joy is found, I think, in what Paul says next. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Think about that passage. It's beautifully written, isn't it? And it's just amazing, the power of Scripture, that it's written in another language in another time, and the poetry of it, just even without the deeper meaning, the poetry of it just comes through. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. But if we look deeper, who has been qualified? Well, we have. We've been qualified. Who has qualified us? Well, the Father. The Father has qualified us. He's made us sufficient. That word qualified in the Greek means sufficient. How did he do that? Well, he sent his son. He sent his son to come down here and sit the exam for us. Anybody ever sat for an exam? Nobody. Just about three of us that went to school. <laughs> I think we've all sat for exams. Is there an exam that you remember that you would probably wish that somebody else could have sat it for you? I think I could do a lot better in math if somebody else could set, set that exam for me. It's been done. Jesus came down and sat the exam for us. He took our place in the test. He earned our GPA. He answered all the questions about humanity, about if we should be saved or not. He answered that at his death and his resurrection. He answered if we should be allowed to graduate. What's our graduation into? The inheritance of the saints in light. That just sounds cool, doesn't it? Think about that. What is the inher inheritance of the saints? Well, Jesus has received, received it, and he's going to share it with us, and it's in my title. All things. All things. That's our inheritance. All things with the saints and light. And he is imparting all things. He is imparting all the things that he learned through suffering, as we read in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8. Because he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. And he's imparting that to us. He's, he's building that in us. He's filling us with all that knowledge and that experience. If we listen, if we accept it. He has qualified us to receive a portion of the inheritance that is beyond our ability to imagine. The kingdom of God, the millennium, the new heaven, the new earth. Those are just a taste of what is out there. I mean, 
new heaven and the new earth, and God dwells with us, tabernacles with us, and then what? Well, then he finally can get back to what he wants him to do all along. And we've not yet seen what that is. Not really. Little hints here and there. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption. Through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Such beautiful words, and, and, and again, it's this poetry. But it's a promise right here that when we're dragged down by our life struggles, this is reality. This is the larger reality that he's already delivered us from this power of darkness. When those dark thoughts come upon us, when those struggles come upon us, he's already delivered us out of that darkness and conveyed us to the kingdom the son of his love. We're already in it. We have access to it. Because we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And because he's teaching us to understand the knowledge, the insight, to have the understanding of how to use the Holy Spirit. And I just love that description the kingdom of the Son of His love. Not just the kingdom of God, but the Son of His love. He loves Him so much. He just cannot say enough about His Son. And yet He loved us so much that He gave Him for us to convey us into this kingdom. Right now, while we live in this wilderness, while we live in the land of promise, we are yet still in the kingdom of God. I've used this word before, and I think it's still applicable. It's amphibian, right? We are amphibian. We live in two realms, in two worlds. We live in the physical world, in this physical body, and we live in the spiritual dimension outside of space and time. And I think that's why life gets so difficult sometimes. I think that's why it gets so challenging sometimes. I've been reading a book called The Deepest Place, Suffering and Formation of Hope uh, by Kurt Thompson. And he has a phrase like this. He says that Christians are directed to live in a way that is compatible or for the kingdom of God but we have to live it in the world today that is not the kingdom of God. And it puts us at odds with almost everything in this world. You know, I joke about my allergies, that the planet is trying to kill me. But we do have an enemy that has formulated a world, and it is trying to kill us, bring us down, to subjugate us, but it cannot. We have been conveyed into the kingdom of God. We dwell in the spirit. We live in that kingdom. We live in the opposite 
of that kingdom. God's grace comes to us with first just one verse, and then the song starts playing. That's what happened to me this morning. First the verse, and then the song. And the words, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, for the thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things. In Him all things exist. So when we are in those dark places, when we are troubled with the, the real things of life and the, the challenges that just don't seem to get resolved or the directions that we don't know which way to go, we can remember that everything is made by him and for him. Even those challenges, even the difficult things in life, even those things we want relief from, they all exist by his will. He allows them, he maybe generates them. All things consist in him. He holds all things together. Not just some things, not just the good things. All things. And that's a struggle. It's hard for us to understand that. It is difficult for us to accept. But he does hold all these things together. So I'd like to play for you the song now. Um, it is by Andrew Peterson. And it is really just this scripture brought into music. So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy it.
Jesus Christ, He holds all.